Hello, everyone, and welcome to Life with Ed, the podcast. I'm Julia Wirth, your host, a registered dietitian in New Haven, Connecticut. And thanks for tuning in for the end of year one, actually, I guess the start of year two uh, of Life Without the Podcast. I put out my first episode last year on January 27th because I was so excited. I couldn't wait until Monday, so I put it out Sunday night. And um, here we are now, actually Monday, (laughs) January 27th, 2020, and it is the start of my second year um, with the podcast. So I'm really excited um, to have you here today. The episode's a little different. I have a guest, Tara Humphreys, who was on the podcast right at the beginning. She was my very first guest on the show. And we're going to sort of do a year in review. So talk through all the episodes and um, stories that relate to us, things we thought of, questions I got from those different episodes, um, everything we learned in 2019 on Life with Ed. So hopefully you'll find it as funny and interesting and um, informative as, as I did. But before that, of course, we have our news items. So today I want to talk about something that my patients have really clued me into. So I see patients in my practice worth their while nutrition every week, uh, mostly Tuesdays and Fridays, and uh, they all teach me a lot, but especially I have a couple who are in high school who have taught me about the different trends in social media for the younger generation. And um, when I was in high school and middle school, like Tumblr was really popular and a lot of the pro-Anna, which is the group that, um, or sort of like the community that promotes eating disorder behaviors. It's really, really sad and terrible. And if you listen to the episode with Will, the father, back at the beginning of my show, you heard a little bit about that community. And um, it's a group that I think a lot of people like me, dietitians or therapists, doctors who work with eating disorders would love to um, have stopped. (laughs) They're causing a lot of damage, a lot of harm for those with an eating disorder. So anyway, that group, you know, used to be really, really active on Tumblr, but now they are really active on TikTok. And I didn't even know about TikTok <laughs> like a month ago, and now I hear about it constantly. Um, and I'm going to post a link for a YouTube video that's really informative and interesting about this topic and sort of explaining why it's important that we work to take down or um, at least confront <laughs> these sorts of videos that are being posted and, and encourage others to stop posting them uh, because they're romanticizing eating disorders and making eating disorders look like a good thing, a fun thing, something you should be doing. Uh, when we all know, especially if you are someone listening who has experience in eating disorder or has a family member who has that eating disorders are not fun, they're not good, we shouldn't be promoting them, um, we should be working to prevent them and recover from them. And a lot of the things on TikTok are actually somewhat um, misleading. Like they, they look like they're trying to give you advice and instead they're giving you advice from someone who has no um, place giving you advice. They're not a dietitian. They're not a professional. They are just saying, oh, look what I ate uh, and I'm trying to recover. And maybe that is the right thing to eat and maybe it's not. And um, the messages are really harmful out there. So if you are on TikTok, look out for it. Uh, I think the hashtag ProAnna has actually been banned on TikTok, but um, they're masquerading under the hashtag eating disorders, which is really upsetting because that hashtag should be for people who are recovering or having an eating disorder or information about eating disorders. So since I have heard it now from a handful of patients and seen it in uh, professional groups that I'm in that this is becoming a real area of concern. I just wanted to bring it to everyone's attention. So um, that's the news for the day, for the week, I guess. And um, before we jump into this show, which is so much fun, I laughed throughout the whole thing, um, pretty different from the normal week's recording. I just wanted to remind you, if you could take a moment to rate and review my show, that would be great. It really helps with other listeners finding the show. Also, if you have a last minute question for the Q&A episode, which is going up next week, February 10th, um, please send it my way to worth your while nutrition. That's W-E-R-T-H, your while nutrition at gmail.com. Or you can follow me and DM me on Instagram. So that's at worth your while. Um, other than that, here we go. My year in review with Tara Humphreys. All right. Welcome back, Tara. 
Thank you. I'm so happy that you're here and I don't have to do this one year um, recollection alone. We should not do (laughs) those things alone. We should do no such things by ourselves. Yeah. Okay. So basically, I just want to go through, talk about all the podcasts I've done this year. There's been 25 not counting like a few extras I randomly threw in there. And I have listened to every single one of them. Thank God. Okay, yeah. good. We're on the same page. <laughs> yes. Um, and I just want to talk about some of the major questions I got after them, sort of the themes from them, and then maybe if we have any insider stories for people to share. Um, so the first one was obviously like my story. And I guess um, if I want to say where we've gone from there, I would say a lot more stable. Uh, This year has been really stable for me, and that is great. I know that is not everyone's uh, year of 2019, but after nine years of um, my eating disorder being pretty bad, it was pretty great to really not have any time that I was worried I would relapse. There was maybe like one or two chances that I kind of came close, but was very stable. So we went on a couple walks. Yes, yes, we did. (laughs) (laughs) I had a few incidents where I called Tara up and was like, yo, I need a walk. But that was like, that was like in April. So we've been doing well. Very well. So the second episode was you. It was. So where are you at? I am on the rocky road of recovery, which is, um, is ongoing. And I think always will be for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a great year last year, like yeah. uh, academic year. That's how I measure things since I'm in grad school. Yeah. And I don't have that anymore. I, you're so lucky. <laughs> <laughs> you're so lucky. Um, I did make it through a really intense summer. You did. Of work. That was um, crazy. I was working as a hospital chaplain doing a, doing training and I was working sometimes up to 90 hours a week. Um and I did manage to keep myself really stable through that time. Thank you. But unfortunately, the wheels kind of came off the wagon this fall a little bit, and I definitely struggled. But I'm I'm feeling like I'm back in a much more grounded and better place. So, And I learned a lot from sort of this past fall of struggling. Um, and I think I'm even more grounded right now than where I was before. So I'm... Yeah. Grateful for that, but it's definitely taking a lot of my time and attention to do the care that I need to do. So our third episode, my first with a guest that I didn't know, um, was with uh, hopeful dad, NC. He's, his first name is Will. He wanted to remain anonymous. Um, his daughter has an eating disorder, and she's actually been doing really well. I've been following along on Twitter. Um, but after that episode, I got a ton of questions about parenting. Yep. And just like, how do you even know your kid has an eating disorder? What do you say to your kid has an eating disorder? And as two children who had eating disorders, I think this might be good for us to sort of answer some of these questions. So one of them was, how do you know your kid has an eating disorder? Like, what are some signs you can look out for, things you should be clued into? What would you say? I think actually my, the answer that first comes to mind is, it's like you don't know. Yeah, um, <laughs> I know. I, that's yeah. And I, and I think that's part of what what parents stumble over is that they don't know, and they're not necessarily going to know. Yeah, their kid might seem like fine. Exactly, and so a more I think I have an idea of what not to do is is assume from the way someone looks. Yeah, and focus more on behavior and states of emotion. Yeah. Yeah. So I definitely would want to talk about behaviors. Like there's no look for an eating disorder. I think if anyone has listened to any of my podcasts, that hopefully has come through. But um, in terms of behaviors, I see a lot of young like teenagers with eating disorders in my practice and all of them. I mean, they've done something to restrict food that as a parent you you would notice but you might not think eating disorder and whether that's like suddenly deciding to be vegetarian with no real like moral conviction. It's just like, yeah, I'm a vegetarian now. You're like, Oh, okay. And like, as a parent, you just kind of say like, Oh, maybe they really care about animals. But if that's not something that has been a big thing for them, it's probably actually not about animals. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) it's, it's not, um, same goes for like, if they're suddenly lactose intolerant, those things don't come on quickly. 
the kid just decided they didn't want to have dairy. Um, there's all sorts of things like that you can kind of look out for. You know, I, when I think it's tricky, um, I think it gets tricky with um, kids and teens and young adults that are athletes. Yeah, of course. Because there's a certain level of disorder that goes along with being a competitive athlete. Yeah, like how much you exercise. Like I had yep. one therapist who was like blown out of her mind that I exercise seven days a week. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm on the track team. <laughs> right. And you have practice and that's okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I think it is hard to look at exercise as an indicator. Unless it's like they're like, you know, running in the middle of the night. Like that's weird. Probably not normal. Yeah. Be alarmed. Um, <laughs> be alarmed. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what do you do if your kid has an eating disorder? Like, so maybe you didn't notice it, but they finally told you, like, what would you tell a parent they should do? Um, in my experience, one of the most important things about reaching out to someone who you're concerned about is not commenting on their body. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So not saying things like, oh, I see that you've lost a lot of weight or I see that you've gained weight. I'm concerned. Um, having it not be about the weight yeah. is really important because that can actually encourage behaviors. Um, and it's and it's and it shows, you know, it sort of tells the eating disorder even more that it's about weight and that people notice either way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's not helpful when you're struggling. No, not at all. I guess so for me, what I what I would want a parent to do, like go get help, <laughs> you know, like don't yes. try to do it alone. Don't like use Google as your friend. Uh, it's no. not um, find <laughs> find a dietitian, a therapist, go to your pediatrician. That should be your first step. Yep. Um, make sure you get them help, even if they don't look like they're losing weight because there are other things that are wrong. And if they're telling you they have a problem, they have a problem. Like no kid is going to just be like, I have an eating disorder if they don't because right. they don't want to have it. And admitting that is a really big deal. Um, so don't dismiss it. Yeah, I really I really like what you're saying um, in terms of don't do it alone. You know, I, don't, yeah. I, I think raising a child is hard enough. I don't know because I don't have one. Yeah. Yeah. But it looks neither. hard. And I and I. I think that the thought that you need to keep things secretive and not ask for help as a parent is is not healthy or true. And it the phrase, you know, it takes a village. That's that is so true. Yeah, definitely. And I think like reaching out to your friends who are parents um, can be really helpful or family. Oftentimes you're like, oh, I don't want anyone to know my kid has like bulimia or anorexia or whatever it is. But it's like, OK, acting like it has to be hidden and it's bad is going to just play into Ed because he wants to be hidden. So right. yeah, definitely don't feel like you should be ashamed of your kid. And I would encourage parents to, to, to seek out support for themselves. Oh yeah. Because yeah. being a caregiver of someone who is struggling is really taxing and exhausting. Yeah, um, definitely. And emotional. And it's important to take care of yourself as a caregiver as well. Okay. So, yeah. So, that was episode three. Um, episode four was with Amy Dunham. And we talked a lot about what it's like in college, all the different eating disorders that come up in college. And one thing that stuck out to me from that episode is that she said emotional eating is normal. And I think if any <laughs> if any of us like follow the news and I'm a journalist in my other life, so I like am forced to follow the news, like every headline that's in the health section is like emotional eating is bad. Um, Interesting. And the fact that she was like, hey, like our bodies intuitively eat when we are stressed out. Right. Um, and that's normal really stuck out to me. I don't know how you feel about that. Um, yeah, I, that's a good question. I think I've only heard emotional eating in like a bad way. Exactly. Been spoken about as something that's a problem. Yeah. Or a disordered thing. Um, but when I think about emotions, I think they're tied up with everything that we do. Yeah. Um, and I guess if you think about stress, like, yep. I mean, your body does not know the difference between like stress because you broke up with your boyfriend and stress because you're being chased by a wild animal and have no food. Right. Like, <laughs> you don't that's what I think about I don't know mine might <laughs> <laughs> but 
<laughs> no, but just like cortisol levels, like your body yeah. doesn't know. So like it's gonna feel hungry and that's a good response because it's right. like we should be eating. So we have the resources to deal with whatever is stressing us out. Right. And sometimes people lose their appetites. And, and sometimes it can go the other way. Yep. Yeah. And that's okay mm-hmm. if you respond accordingly. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> As in like eat later. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Okay. So the fifth episode, I actually got a ton of responses to, and that yeah. was because it, it went through with Rebecca bardwell Dewaco from Walden. We went through like what different types of treatment are. That's right. I remember that. Yeah. And people don't know. People don't know yeah. like the differences right. or why one might be better for someone than another. So I guess one thing I wanted to talk about from this was that People who are in treatment get really scared when their provider says you need a higher level of care. Right. Um, I'm sure you felt that at times. Absolutely. <laughs> and I guess how can we tell someone who might be in that situation, like why a high lev- higher level of care might make sense? And what's what is it going to provide versus, say, like outpatient? That's a really good question. Um, as someone who's been in a whole range of levels of care. Yeah. It was definitely always scary to to feel like I needed more structure. Yeah. Um, and I think the most helpful thing that a provider ever told me about moving up into into residential, for example, would would have been um, I think someone at one point said, you know, we we, we want to put you at a higher level of care because we want you we want to keep you safe yeah um and like you're just safer and um we want to keep you like in a healthy place and keep you from hurting yourself right um and damaging yourself and so like we're just creating boundaries for you so that you can only focus on help being healthier um i think that's a good way to put it and i like as a provider for outpatient only I have this conversation all the time right and I I hate it (laughs) like if you're my patient you're listening I don't like having this conversation with you um because it's hard I don't want to tell you you have to go to residential I don't want to tell you you have to go to inpatient although that's not normally the conversation I have but right um it's hard I know it's not an easy place to be but it really does have a place in eating disorder treatment because as an outpatient provider I can only tell you what to do and like you have to do it. Whereas at a residential facility, like they can actually kind of like make you do stuff in terms of like (laughs) certainly can. (laughs) And like that's that's really good if you're medically unstable. Yes. So I think for anyone who is kind of on that brink of needing a higher level of care, like don't be scared. You might not love it. You, You probably won't enjoy it. It's terrible. It will be helpful. Yes. At least in the short term. Yeah. I mean, it's it's naturally terrible because you're confronting a whole lot of stuff that's really scary to confront. Yeah. And like all at once. You have sessions like eight hours a day. Yep. It's a lot. And it's also an opportunity to stop everything slow down and focus on something that you can't quite get a handle on without support. Yeah. And it it involves leaving your daily life. So I think that's really hard. Um, But but it is important. So I think that was a good takeaway from from episode five. And episode six was actually one of my favorites. It was kind of random. It was with the head of Girls on the Run. Um, oh, she yeah. has no real you know, experience with eating disorders, but Girls on the Run is a program that really promotes just like body positivity and like feminism yeah. <laughs> and just like and helping girls feel like they have, um, you know, the power and the ability to do what they want to do and take care of their body. Um, yeah. And the quote that I highlighted from that episode was, you just need to stop the negative self-talk. It doesn't do anyone any good. And that, to me, is such... (laughs) Preach it, girl. (laughs) Like, such a powerful statement because how many times have you been, like, out to dinner and all anyone talks about is, like, bad things about them? Absolutely. It's not a good look. No. And I... So I have nephews now, um, three of them, and they're adorable. And I am soon. I can, I can say they are adorable. <laughs> and I will soon have a step niece. And I think a lot about, you know, what do I want them to hear 
and what don't I want them to hear? And like, do I want to be someone who's like criticizing my body or, or what I look like around them? Like probably not. Cause that's kind of how we all develop negative attitudes towards ourselves. Yep. So, um, there's not a lot of eating disorder treatment sort of stuff in there, but I think it was really important in terms of thinking about, you know, the fashion industry and also like face, face care. Everyone's always like talking about their face and that doesn't look good. And just, (laughs) just like being positive, you know, I don't know. I think that's where we could all get a little bit better in 2020. Yeah. And you know, that one also, when I think of girls on the run, one of the things I think about is um, joyful movement and play. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think that's a good point. I, I have not coached with girls on the run, but I've been involved with um, volunteering at some of their oh the five Ks. Um, yep, some of the five Ks, mm-hmm. and just witnessing that joyful movement and that sense of play that they have. Yeah, is something that I think so many of us lose when we continue to do athletics but get older yeah I know like I think about this all the time so as Tara knows I'm not a big watch wearer on 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 the run um sometimes I will wear a watch sometimes I will look at it that part is rarer and I just think that is because if I have a watch it becomes like a practice like it has to be like this pace this speed you know this amount of time and I do do that I do speed workouts but I think when I'm just going on a run with a friend like I I don't want to care right and so I I care and and she cares (laughs) and I have the watch she has the watch (laughs) and she has to turn it off at like every intersection it's bad yeah it's really annoying so don't be that friend you know like (laughs) thanks (laughs) I'm joking but I mean it's a good example though of how we're in different places right yeah exactly like trying to enjoy the exercise and or still having some rules around around that exercise yeah um, so episode seven was with Kirsten Ackerman. She's another dietitian. And we talked a lot about what haze is and yeah. what intuitive eating is. And um, I think I get at least one question every week. Just like, can you redefine haze? Right. And I have done it in several podcasts, but I don't think you can do it enough. Um, right. Because it's such a mental shift. So the more they hear it again and again the more they might get it. And maybe if Tara says it in a way that clicks with them or I say it in a way that clicks with them, that will be the time they finally understand. So how how would you explain Hayes? I, well, I'm not a dietitian. Yeah. Um, I'm training to be a pastor. (laughs) So a little different, a better perspective, Um, but I do, I do um, try to, to sort of lead and teach that in Mm -hmm. the work that I do as well. But how I understand health at every size is the idea that we are striving to to promote healthy behavior regardless of what someone looks like or um, how much movement they have in their lives. And the idea is, for me, is that it's really important to consider other um, parts of someone's life that could be causing health issues and not just assume it's a weight-based issue. Yeah, yeah. So actually last week, it might have been two weeks ago, but I think it was last week, I held a weight-inclusive um, nutrition and dietetics event in New Haven. And we had dietitians and therapists there. And we had dietitians who like don't practice this way at all. Yeah. You know, like don't think in this way. And that was actually really cool because I live in a bubble where most people think this way. Yes. And so it was really helpful to have conversations um, with someone who is like, but the research shows that weight correlates with, you know, higher blood pressure, higher rates of diabetes, like all of these poor right. health outcomes. Oh, I'm not a scientist, but isn't it supposed to be causation yeah, not correlation. Yeah, yeah. I you. remember that from, from ninth grade biology. So that's exactly what I was going to say. Like there's no direct link. It's not like right. someone who weighs 300 pounds, no matter who they are, is going to have diabetes. Right. Like th- so this is why Hayes makes so much sense because right. weight on its own is not an indicator of health. Like if you don't have any other good positive health things going on in your life yeah maybe your weight does go along with the fact that you're not having great health right or maybe it doesn't like maybe it has no um you know indicator that you're doing poorly and it's the same with eating disorders yeah 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 the same yeah 
And I, I, same with athletes is, is the common one that I can explain to people and that they sort of get, um, if you've ever seen an athlete, they got like a lot of muscle and it depends on the athlete, but obviously like a wrestler or a basketball player or someone and muscle weighs a lot. <laughs> so it certainly does. I have rarely met an athlete who is in the healthy range for BMI. So it just doesn't make sense. Oh, don't get me started on BMI. <laughs> <laughs> but that's sort of where Hayes comes from, right? Yes, that like BMI yes. doesn't make sense. And yep. like, where can we go from there? Yeah. So yeah. So we've talked about that a lot. And I'm sure we'll be back with that in this year. <laughs> that, one's not, that one's not going anywhere. It's not going away. Um, my eighth episode, I talked about all of my stress with the weddings. And oh my gosh. Um, Tara was a weekly um, witness to my stress with wedding dress shopping specifically I was um I almost decided to get a pantsuit because (laughs) I was so frustrated with um just like the dress situation right and I I have heard now from so many people on Instagram who've commented on my um, posts or sent me direct messages just about how they feel the same way and they feel like they when they go shopping there's nowhere you know that they can feel respected or beautiful or right or like they're not judged for how they look. Yep. Um, so yeah. I want to add a spin to that though. And mm-hmm. I guess it's not so so focused on weddings. But just this, shopping in general. Well clothes. gender. Gender. Yeah. Um, like I know for myself in the queer community. There's a lot of struggle with figuring out how to find clothes that fit your gender identity. And like look right for you. Exactly. Yeah. And it's you know, absolutely for trans people, but for all, I mean, for everyone, it's yeah. very hard, um, especially when you don't feel like your gender and your pre- gender presentation quite match up with what is expected of you in terms of what you're supposed to wear. It's right. really hard. Yeah. It's really hard to get dressed. Yeah. like, <laughs> and, and I don't think we talk about that. No, we don't. Like, I don't think I've said that I spend a long time in the morning, like putting things on and taking them off. I'm putting them on and taking them off. And like the more I do that, the more I know I'm going to have a bad like Ed day. Yeah. Because um, I'm like, crap, I couldn't even, you know, figure out if a shirt looked normal, let right. alone feel good. Right. right. And even, you know, I would be a pantsuit wearer personally, <laughs> not a dress wearer. And it it would still be hard. Yeah. So it's not just a. No, it's everyone. Yeah. It's everyone. And it's just normal shopping and feeling like you can buy clothes in a store or yes. you have to buy them online or whatever um so yeah that that was crazy and I learned so much during my seven months of being engaged it was wild and you looked amazing oh thank you yes I got to have two weddings and Tara yes. came to both of them she's like one of the few so I that did. was pretty cool um okay so my ninth episode I had a running coach from Quinnipiac on oh yeah and we talked a lot about what coaches can do and like what coaches shouldn't do, right? So like, where is the line? Because a lot of people do get their nutrition advice and sort of how they feel about their body from their coach if they are an athlete. Um, so what's your experience with that? I think one of a coach's main jobs is to model the kind of yeah. behavior that they want to see in like their parents, athletes. you know, like parents and like any kind of anyone in leadership of any kind um, Mm -hmm. and anyone in caregiving professions of any kind, I think modeling is huge. The other thing I thought about when I was speaking with her is, you know, she has all these students who are runners, right? She's the track coach, cross country coach. And some of them do have eating disorders and then they, you know, take a step back from the track team or the cross country team. And I know we've spoken about this, but how do you rejoin a sport that maybe contributed to your eating disorder without going back right into ed behaviors? I do not have an answer to that. Yeah, because, I know. Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I couldn't. Yeah. Um, I had to stop. And yeah, you don't, so for Tara, it was skiing. Yeah, so running. I was a cross-country ski racer, and um, I wasn't able to go back to ski racing in a healthy way. Yeah. Or really run racing. Or run racing. And I don't, and I've had to, you know, say you may run. And racing is where I draw the line because Mm. it leads to behaviors that take me down a path I don't want to go on. So I don't, I don't know how people do it. Yeah. So I think, okay, so for me, 
I don't I don't know how much my sports played into my eating disorder. Right. I mean, certainly a little bit. I was a dancer and I don't dance anymore. Um, I miss dancing, but I do think like putting a leotard on and staring in the mirror for six oh, hours no. a day is like not helpful for my <laughs> my situation. Um, I do I do miss it a lot, but for me, focusing on a sport where I could have you know, individual success without needing comparison was really helpful. So, so running was great um, because it didn't matter if I, you know, beat everyone, like I could do a little bit better for myself or even just like be happy out there running. Right. Um, Dance was not going to happen for a long time. I'm hoping sometime soon I can dance again, but yeah, like the mirror situation, not there. Yeah. Well, and I think, Something that we don't talk enough about with recovery is that recovery means letting go of things. Yeah. yeah and yeah, it yeah. means Definitely. that sometimes we have to let go of things that we're not ready to let go of and that are hard to let go of. Yeah. And it's sad and we have to grieve. We don't get to have the same life that we had before. Mm-hmm. And what opens up is a whole lot of amazing opportunity for new stuff. Right. But there is a process of grief and and loss that I think we all have to go through when we give things up. Yeah. And I have this conversation weekly with my patients, but like a big thing is clothes. When you have a like a piece of clothing, whether it's pants or shirt or dress or whatever it is, and you fit into it when you were like restricting a lot and your eating disorder was really bad and now you're healthy again for the most part and it doesn't fit that's really hard because you don't you don't want to throw it out and you kind of want to be there again but or or hold on to it (laughs) just in case yeah and that's horrible it's it's got to go yeah i have this conversation and if you're my patient and you're listening you know who i'm talking to um (laughs) like (laughs) like throw the clothes out you don't need them and they're not helping they're just gonna convince you that diets might work and that restricting might work or your behaviors might work and they don't work yeah i think the most powerful thing a dietitian has ever said to me about clothes when when i was struggling to get rid of Uh my tiny clothes oh man was um she said to me tara you will never fit in those clothes and be healthy right it's literally impossible and so that was really powerful for me and i was able to to give them away yeah so for me it was a little bit easier because i actually grew (laughs) like I'm so ridiculous I like kept growing taller until I was 23 wow um yeah yeah (laughs) and I'm only 24 so like I just stopped growing yeah when I started dating Dylan he was taller oh my god I know wild um we're like the same height debatable if I'm taller at this point um but I've grown a solid inch since I graduated from high school and you know I started eating again and suddenly all of my pants were too short it was it was Mm -hmm. crazy um, so yeah, I have a full new wardrobe of pants. Um, uh, might need another one. You're not into the high waters? No, no, <laughs> I didn't look my best, uh, in those. <laughs> um, so then episode 10, I had Beth Rosen on, she's another dietitian and we talked a lot about chronic dieting yeah. and sort of, so not an eating disorder in the sense that Tara and I experienced eating disorders, but someone who is dieting and dieting and dieting on different diets, like all of the different fad diets their entire life and sort of has to give those up, right? And figure out like, how do you eat normally after for a lot of people, decades of dieting? Talk about grief and loss. Yeah. And that, I mean, honestly, I am so glad that I haven't and probably will not go through that. Right. Um, I won't let you. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it would be weird at this point in my life to suddenly revert to dieting. But um it, it it's really hard because it's not like they were medically unstable. It's not like they had any real medical problem that could show them that that this was wrong. Um, so it's hard to give up, right? And but it's it's living from a sense of not being worthy. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's and horrible. not being enough, and it's like always thinking that something's wrong with you. Yeah, and like, do, get get rid of the dieting. If you're, if for anything, just do it for capitalism. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think about that all the time. Like, why do we support this like multi-billion-dollar diet yep. industry? Yep. 
if anything, so do it sad. as a political statement. If that's <laughs> what gets you started, you know. Um. Yeah. So yeah, wild. I actually this week I got a question, um, and I get these questions a lot, and I don't know how to answer them because my answer is always the same. So I'm not sure what I'm supposed to say differently. Okay. But this time I got the question. You know, what do you think about intermittent fasting? It's not good. It's yeah. just like every other diet. It's not going to solve your problems. It's not going to be the sudden answer to, um, you know, right. your whatever is going on with you. And intermittent fasting is really one that is more dangerous and more likely to lead to an, a true eating disorder. Right. Because it is straight up restriction for hours on end. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so no, if that was you, no. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> you do not have julia's permission to yeah. engage in intermittent fasting yeah no but so honestly like i have family members who this, this is what they're trying to do and i struggle with the line between like i'm a dietitian or i am their family member well i would also ask does it bring joy to your life like no i just i, I mean and, and maybe, <laughs> maybe it does yes, maybe but it i does. can't imagine mine would be no and i think it the problem with intermittent fasting is it really can seem like it's helping you in whatever you want help with for a little while like most diets yes. right like they are like oh this is awesome for like a month right and then like you know your body is like okay we want to eat so episode 11 was my most listened to episode um so that was pretty exciting Ooh. people are still listening to that episode. Which one is it? Um, it was with Laurie Grunbaum. She's a dietitian. I mean, she's a therapist, not a oh, dietitian. Oh, I love that one. Yeah. And we talked about, you know, what is really the psychology behind an eating disorder. Yep. And I thought it was so important. Um, and the word she said to me that stuck out is that it was a disorder of deprivation. So it's not, it's not just about food. Like right. something else is being deprived from, from you. Right. Um, and it, yeah, she kept asking like, you know, what else are they depriving themselves of? And you kind of have to figure that out yes. in order to get better. Yeah. Yeah, she did. She asked some really great questions and had some really beautiful insight into um, the inner life. Yeah. And yeah. And she's been a therapist for like 40 years. Yeah. So she's seen it all. And she's actually coming back on my Q&A episode next week. Oh, so good. yeah, great. get excited. Okay, so then episode 12 was with another therapist, Elizabeth Rathbun. And we just really talked about different strategies that therapists can use uh, and what works for you and what doesn't. Um, and I guess I wanted to ask, like, Tara, has there been anything in therapy that really clicked for you? Um, and then I'll talk about what, what really clicked for me in therapy. Like in terms of a method or... A method or something they said or like an activity, something that really helped that's, or, or maybe didn't really help. Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> it's really negative. I tried all sorts of different things from yeah. CBT and DBT mm -hmm. and uh, action-based commitment therapy, all, all the sort of different... All of them. All the frameworks. <laughs> um, and I actually think... I mean, I'm a spiritual person. Mm -hmm. She's so going to be a pastor. So. I'm going to be a pastor. And, and I'm a yoga teacher as well. And I think um, some of the most profound sessions I had were with one of my therapists who was also a yoga teacher. Okay. And so she was able to... Very mindful. Very A lot of mindfulness-based stuff. And she was able to talk to me about spirituality in a way that really helped me kind of align my recovery with my deeper values. Mm -hmm. um, and I found that to be very powerful. That was that That's has always been more you. sort of linking my therapy life to my faith has always been um, the most powerful thing for me. And this is where Tara and I differ. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you would probably not want to touch that with a 10 foot pole. <laughs> no, like I am. I am religious. Um, I but not how I get better. Right. And stuff and I'm grew up in a family of engineers and doctors and I am the only one who is not one right. um and so it's got to make sense like if it's logical I'm with you oh I'm and out so <laughs> <laughs> no so this is why as a therapist you have yeah. to be able to change your approach you can't have like a one-size-fits-all because Tara and I would not respond the same. No. So the most useful thing that was ever said to me in years of therapy was I was explaining to my therapist how sometimes I could feel like fat adding 
to my body just like explaining how huh. that worked i was like yeah like sometimes i'm just walking along and like i feel it and then i'm like oh god i can't eat the rest of the day or whatever it is right and she just looked at me and said julia you're in chemistry and biochemistry class right is that how that works and i'm like um well like like policy like going through all of yeah. like the you know metabolic systems and and she's like doesn't work that way like you literally cannot feel fat growing like you 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 can't (laughs) you don't have that ability and I was like mind blown wow because I realized like oh I maybe I was just like itchy or like you were probably itchy (laughs) or like or just like crazy or something you know and I thought that's what it was and ever since then like I just logic my way out of every weird right. thought. Um, and that was so helpful. So yeah, everyone's different and there's different approaches for different Certainly. different people. Okay, so episode 13, I had Rachel Steele, who's an author and she wrote the book Breaking the Silence, which is about running um, with an eating disorder and like, how do you talk about it? Um, how do you fit into the running community after you've had an eating disorder? This is more for someone who's sort of at the beginning of their recovery, right? Maybe they just kind of recognized it for themselves and they're like, okay, I have to tell someone like, how do you start that conversation when you're the person struggling? Yeah. Oh, um, uh, it's really hard. That's a hard question. What would, what, what would you say? So, so for me, my, the first person I told was my dad and I sat there for like hours on the couch, like not knowing what to say. Right. And I just like told him about like behaviors. Sure. And I just was saying like, I do this and I do this and I do this. And he was like, not quite getting it. (laughs) Right. You know? And I was like, all these things like, is, are these a problem? And like trying to, you know, figure out like, well, it's a cry for help. Right. Exactly. But then as I've gotten, you know, further along in my recovery and when I was first telling friends, I would sort of want it to be one-on-one. I didn't want to be in a group and I would explain like, Hey, you know, I, I go to all these doctor's appointments because I have an eating disorder. And I would say like, um, like I actually have bulimia and I want you to look out for me. Like if you see me go to the bathroom or, or whatever after meals, like, and I would try to use them as like an accountability measure. Yeah. Um, and now like I just tell everyone and their mother about my eating disorder and it's, (laughs) (laughs) it's just like common knowledge. But I think there is that really hard point for people where they can't talk about it. And Rachel and I talked a lot about like, how do you even, how do you start those conversations? My thought is that you are always allowed to have boundaries. Right. And you are always allowed to drive the conversation. And so some someone who's sharing their experience should never share more than they're right. comfortable sharing. And no one should ever ask that of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think for me, at least, that helps me to feel more comfortable talking because I get to be in charge of yeah. what I say and what I don't because it's my story. Yeah, exactly. And I think for some of my patients, I've seen like once they're able to tell someone, they do get better because they have that sort of uh, and like someone knows right like they're not just like out on their own free floating right um (laughs) (laughs) no but seriously (laughs) it's how I feel about them yeah (laughs) um but also you don't have to like I'm a big sharer um other people are not big sharers right um, my 14th episode was with Dana White and Carolyn again. And so she's the dietitian who works with um, the track team at QU. Yep. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah. And so I guess the one thing I want to talk about from that episode was that there's no perfect plan and there's no food that like everyone has to eat. So that's no. really what Dana was driving home. You don't have to eat kale or sweet potatoes. Right. Like, you don't have to like carrots. Um, Mom, I know you love carrots. Tara loves Tara carrots, Tara loves too. carrots. Um, lots of people like carrots, but you don't have to, right? Like, it's not a requirement. It's also not a requirement that you like brownies or cookies. Right. Like, you don't... There isn't one food or even many foods that everyone has to eat. I met someone yesterday who's allergic to chocolate. That makes me cry. I know. Wow. Okay. 
okay well i feel bad for them but they don't have to like it nope and they shouldn't eat it Um, they definitely shouldn't eat it yeah so episode 15 i had mariah staley on um i thought that was one of my favorite episodes um we talked a lot about sort of research and also that we are different like so she's black she grew up in baltimore um and she's like you know I am going to be a larger person than a a white person who is my size and age, you know, about height, she's saying. Um, And we talked a lot about just understanding that you can't use the same guidelines to measure someone. Sure. And comparing yourself and and all of that. And I thought, um, obviously, I cannot explain it as well as she did. Go back and listen to episode 15 if you have not. Yeah. She was my preceptor in my dietetic internship. She's pretty great. Um, episode 16 was with a diet tech named Julie and we really just told her story and she is one of the people who really hammered home that recovery can be complete so it's not complete necessarily for everyone but there are people I had this idea that like no one could ever recover sure completely because I was like for me it's always sort of in the back of my head even though I don't do any of the behaviors anymore I think about things still and she kind of said you know, you can have complete recovery. So um, if you want like inspiration, that is a great one to listen to. And then we went to the Nita Walk. Yes. And yeah, I brought my recorder and that was fun. Seven- Picturing you walking around <laughs> talking to people is so classic. Um, it was pretty awkward. Not going to lie. <laughs> and you're a journalist. And I'm a journalist. So like, I'm not very... You do that. I, this is what I do for my life. And... I think it was only awkward because I expected the walk to be three miles. It was not. How long was it? It was like half a mile. So I thought I had like all the time in the world to like mosey up to people, become best friends. Like then they would tell me their story and it was like rapid fire. So yeah, not what I expected, but um, I did, did meet some pretty cool people. And the big thing I took away from that experience was just that people really do care for those that they love and they do that sounds silly but most people that i met there were like i'm here because my friend's daughter you know has an Aww. eating disorder or or whoever it was and there was so many friends yeah. more than suffers okay so then episode 19 uh was with lauren Mulheim, and she wrote the book when your teen has an eating disorder she's also a psychiatrist um, and we talked about the Maudsley method, which I also oh. talked about with you. <laughs> I have some thoughts. Yeah. And I thought it was yeah. so interesting because she is such a big proponent of the Maudsley method. Yeah. And prior to speaking with her, I had never had a patient who thought the Maudsley mes- method was helpful. Right. And like we'd spoken about your experience and I yes. had, had patients um, in my private practice who have had gone through the Maudsley method and somewhat traumatized um, by the experience and have a worse relationship with their parents because of it. But she talked a lot about how there are situations where it really can be helpful. Yes. Um, And what did you think like listening to that? So listening to that reminded me of the importance of paying attention to the person's age, family situation, context, um, family dynamics, Uh family system. Um, because if you're looking at someone who's struggling, who would be benefiting from pediatric care, that's very different. Like, you know, a 12 year old is very different than a 19 year old. Right. And they should, their treatment should not look the same. Yeah. Um, one of the, one of the problems with going back to the talk that we just had about parents sort of going and looking for information. Yeah, and thinking like, this will be it for my kid. It's easy to kind of grab an idea that everyone seems to be saying you need to do and then applying it to a situation where it's not actually going to be beneficial. Yeah, and that episode, I actually had a huge like mental breakthrough that I talked about in the intro because she talked about how in like old school eating disorder treatment, they would say this is a problem of the family and try to like trace it back in your family. And they, they actually would like separate you kind of from your parents. Right. And I had a therapist try to do that. And it was 
earth shattering because my family and I are so close and they are, you know, not the problem with my eating disorder. They contribute in some ways and I contribute in a lot of ways. And it, it just, it was really interesting to see, oh, wow, like that method does not work for me right. and does not make sense. And what she also she also talked about how everyone has to be on board with recovery yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. in order for it to be possible. Right. Like if your brother, parent, whatever, isn't willing to kind of shift, yep. then you can't really get better either. Yep. Yeah, that was true. Um, so episode 20, I did, I had the um, wedding bridal shop owners on and I really had fun with that episode yeah. <laughs> it was super different um you were still on your wedding kick I was well because I was getting married like in the month from yeah. that point and uh it was really interesting to speak with them just about bride experiences but yeah go back and listen because I'm super chipper on that episode um <laughs> episode 20 20- I have nothing to say about that <laughs> I'm, I'm not a bride <laughs> episode 21 I had um a dietitian Liz Ward who is not a Hayes dietitian she's not um coming from that approach but she does work with pregnancy and maternal care and I know for a lot of listeners that was a really tough episode to listen to um because she did bring up weight and BMI and, and guidelines yeah um but I do think it was very interesting if you're sort of past recovery or you're just uh, not a patient, not a, not a patient and you're trying to get pregnant um, because she really does have a wealth of information about what you should think about if you're pregnant. But yeah, I have had a lot of listeners write in that they're having a baby and they're worried their eating disorder might come back. That might be a good episode for you. If you're in recovery, not for you. Um, <laughs> Tara was traumatized. <laughs> yeah, no. yeah. That one was a bit much. I got me. a lot of comments on that. Yeah. Yeah. Aware. Okay, though. Um, episode 22, I had Rebecca Clyde um, and she is a dietitian who has a company where she talks a lot about cooking. cooking. alone. Yeah. And cooking for one because Tara has a roommate, but you probably just cook for yourself. I do. Right? I cook for one. Well, I actually don't really. I don't cook that much. Right. And and I have a husband and I cook for two because he doesn't cook. So. <laughs> um, you wouldn't let him. Yeah. No, I'm better. So. So we talked a lot about how it can be really hard to cook for one or even to take care of one because it feels yep. like what's the point? Yep, it does. And it's a lot easier to eat my breakfast while I'm walking around packing my bag for the day yeah then it is to sit down and use a bowl yeah. and a spoon <laughs> yeah and actually like get dishes out and sit yeah because um, then you have to do the dishes exactly yes. you know it's a lot easier to just eat a bag of carrots right so it, it makes sense to kind of put some focus and attention there absolutely yeah and she also talked about how like it's okay to eat out for one right like i have this misconception that like you can't order food if it's just you, because it's like just you. So why would you do that? But like, actually, that's like a prime time to do that because then you don't have to cook for one. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you want some permission, that's a good episode. <laughs> episode 23 was again with someone from Nita um, just talking about the resources they have. If you've never checked out Nita's website, you should check it out, yep. especially if you're looking for therapy or, or any kind of treatment. And then episode 24, I had Jennifer McGurk on and we talked all about becoming an intuitive eater. And Tara, what did you take away from that episode? I am one of those people who listens to people talk about intuitive eating. And wonders. And wonders, (laughs) how do you do that? I could never do that. Yeah. And... And it's funny because people who talk about intuitive eating always talk about how they at one point said, oh, I don't think I could ever do that. Right. Yeah. It sounds like heaven on earth to me. And Mm -hmm. I can't imagine it being possible. Right. And I am so glad Jennifer came on the show because she did such a good job of talking about how you're not ready for it right away. Right. And that's a big reason why you need to see a dietitian who is trained in eating disorders if you have an eating disorder because someone who is just an intuitive eating dietitian does not necessarily know how to work with someone who has an eating disorder because you can't just be like so your hunger cues like eat when you have them don't have them you don't (laughs) don't have them that's just like straight true um right yeah so so that was really interesting and I guess I wanted to bring up because this is actually something we've talked about is the hunger fullness diet. 
which can kind of come from someone who uh, maybe has disordered eating in their past or an eating disorder and tries to do intuitive eating. Yep. So if you are, you know, not really understanding that you should feel satisfied when you eat, then you might eat like just enough. Right. To not and, be like growling. Yeah. And that's not that's not right, guys. Um, you're supposed to you're supposed to eat so you feel satisfied and there's some endorphins that are released and you get this like happiness and then you won't be hungry for several hours rather than eating a little bit and then right. eating a little bit. But you yeah. know, I think something that's hard about the idea of It's really hard satisfaction is that a lot of us are so disconnected from our bodies yeah. that we don't act and we don't pay attention to what things like pleasure and satisfaction even feel like. Yeah. So those words don't make sense because you're not happy when you're eating most of the time. Yeah. So definitely intuitive eating. If you're on that chronic dieting, if that's you, intuitive eating is a great way to go. Yeah. If you have an eating disorder, it's going to be a longer road to get there. Um, so yeah, so pretty interesting episode. And then my most recent episode was with Sarah Canny and she is a snowshoe runner and I thought that was so cool. And she also hosts a retreat, um, called rise run retreat where women who run all come together for a weekend and they run together and they have different, um, you know, sessions about nutrition and PT and all these different things for running. I'm stuck on the snowshoe running idea. I know. I really want a snowshoe run now. I don't because (laughs) (laughs) I I don't. But so when I think of snowshoeing, I think of walking on a beach with flippers. Oh, it's hard. Yeah. It's it's just like, no. Um, But to each their own. Yeah. She's really into it. But she had a really unique insight into the fact that diet culture is just so pervasive. And even someone who like would never say I have any form of disordered eating has norms like in their life just kind of that have snuck in from diet culture. And she talked a lot about having many relapses and and truly like 10 full years of an eating disorder before she even like started to recover. Um, And I guess what's interesting to me about that is people think that it's going to be like one and done. Yep. And I certainly did. Yeah. And and for neither of us and for nobody that I know, is it one and done? Right? No. Absolutely not. And that's where like if you are someone like um, who's super into numbers and you want to like count how many days you've been doing well, it can be really hard to do that because you're going to go back to zero a lot (laughs) and that doesn't mean you have no progress and I guess that's kind of what I want to talk about in terms of her episode is that those 10 years of relapsing all the time she was making some progress from the moment you know you have a problem yeah you're beginning to progress a little and when I was going through cycles of treatment at one point someone I I said, oh, I've been in this IOP program three times. I'm so frustrated. I'm like not getting anything out of it. And they said to me, every time you come back, you get something different. Yeah. And all of those things you need. Yeah. So it's it's part of the process. And that's how I feel about like running too, right? Like it's not like you run one time and suddenly everything's good. (laughs) Like it takes a a long time to feel like you're good at running. Like, I mean, this is when you start running. Oh God, starting sucks. Yeah. Like when you're injured and you're coming back, it can be like weeks until like a three mile run feels easy. Mm -hmm. Both of us have been injured in the last year and it was a real rough. It was hard. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was not my best self. Yeah, no. mm -mm. Uh, So, okay. So that was all the episodes, 25 of them. Wow. Um, 25. Yeah. In the next year, we're doing some different things. Um, so I'm going to talk about that at the end of the show once Tara goes home. But <laughs> but uh, yeah, get excited because there's going to be a lot more than 25 episodes in 2020. Thanks so much, Tara. You are so welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Maybe we'll do this for a year too. So it's me again. I'm back. Um, thanks for listening, everyone. This was one year of Life with Ed, the podcast, and I'm so happy that you joined me for this year. 
I hope you learned something. I learned so much as you just heard in this nearly hour long episode. So um, stick around for 2020 because we have a lot of big things coming. It's going to look a little different from this year where this year I had biweekly episodes. So every other week on Monday, there was an episode. Um, This year is going to be a little different. I'm going to do some series episodes. So our first one is going to be pretty normal, just the Q&A episode that you've all been waiting for. It's actually coming out in two Mondays. So it's going to have four or five different people answering questions on it, including Dr. Alyssa Bennett, who's a pediatrician who specializes in eating disorders, Lori Grumbaum, who you all heard this uh, year, Kirsten Ackerman, who you also all heard this year, so that's a therapist and a dietitian. And then another therapist who I work closely with in my practice, her name is Nina Gilbert. She has a lot of insight into um, the questions you all have been sending me. So it should be a really informative episode and um, I'm excited. I think it'll clear a lot of questions up that are out there and hopefully bring uh, new ones as well. And then two weeks after that, February 24th, I'm going to be focusing on National Eating Disorder Awareness Week because it is that week um, this year. And I'm asking for you guys to help me out, actually. So I want listener stories to be sent in. Um, They can be anonymous. I won't say your names at all on the episode. I just want to share different stories from people at different stages in their life um, with an eating disorder. So whether that's just realizing you have it, whether that's a parent who just realized their child had it or has a grown child um, who had an eating disorder or you are somewhere in recovery, I want to hear from you. I'm sharing a story every single day that week. So that's five episodes in that one week. And I want to share as many stories as possible. Um, so please, please send them my way. So send them to worth your while nutrition. That's W E R T H your while nutrition at gmail.com. Or you can DM me on Instagram at worth your while. So, um, I'm looking forward to having many of those to share. And after that, there'll be a couple more things, but, um, yeah, we'll have a lot of series similar to, you know, the Nita one. So five episodes in one week and then two weeks later another series. Um, So send any things you want to hear from or uh, learn about in the next year to me so I can consider that as I'm planning for the year. And other than that, have a wonderful week and a great restart (laughs) because this is uh, the start of year two for Life with Ed. So um, if maybe your New Year's wasn't great, maybe the new year for Life with Ed is great for you. So um, see you soon, everyone. Bye.